Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. And we are recording once again. Here we are. So how's everyone doing? Good. Fine September day. Does it feel like, does it feel like they have left a little bit? Oh, I don't. I think it does. Bill, I don't know what your perspective is, but I just drove, I'm actually sitting next to Miss Annette Hankel in the same room for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just drove to East Hampton from Southampton and it did not feel busy for the first time in several months. That's interesting. Yeah. I was feeling like traffic had lightened up, but I, I drove into the office on Wednesday and it didn't get in until 9.30 because traffic was so bad. So I don't, I don't know, I'm gonna reserve judgment. I think what's happened is all of the construction projects that were put off in the summer mm. have now resumed. So that's a lot of the traffic. Ah, uh, that could be. Feeling. Mm. And um, could be closing up too, hopefully. Yeah. But it's interesting. I, you know, yeah, it does feel somewhat less crowded, but at the same time, like like late afternoon seems like it's really really busy. I think. Um, well, I was at CVS yesterday picking up a prescription, and it was packed. And then I realized there's tons of people going for their third COVID shots, mm. which is interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, that's something going on. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people are just walking in and getting it, whether they're immunocompromised or not, that, I mean, you just self-declare and you can just go in. Yeah. I think, well, they all seem to have their cards too. I think if you can show that you got your shot, like in January, February, you're yeah. at the eight month point. So I think that they're letting them get it, I guess. I don't think anybody's going to turn anybody down if you want it. No, I don't think so either. Not in this state. Um, all right, let's do our introductions so everybody knows who we are. So once again, that's Bill Sutton, Manning the Controls. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also sitting right next to me, which is a first, <laughs> is Catherine G. Manu, a.k.a. Georgie. Hey, Georgie. Hey, Matt. How's it's, it going? It's so weird to like I know. look at you here and not on a screen. <laughs> I'm doing really great. I'm happy to be here. It's nice to be sitting in this kitchen once again. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so also joining us today is Joe Shaw. Hey, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Shaw. I am the executive editor. And also joining us is Brendan J. O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hi, Annette. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. Yeah. I went and I got um, adjusted this morning. My chiropractor gets mad if I call it cracked. <laughs> <laughs> but it is cracked. <laughs> so Brendan's our features editor, and his feature today is a very healthy cracked back. Oh, sorry. didn't mean to say that. Adjusted. Back. Adjusted back. So... <laughs> And my name is Annette Hankel, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And um, today we thought that since everybody's trying to get back up and out there, especially the school kids, that it would be interesting to talk about the start of school, which began on Tuesday, Wednesday? Well, it it began for on different days for different school districts. So most kids went back Wednesday and Thursday of last week. Wednesday and Thursday of last week, which was September September 8th and 9th, 9th, right? Um, Yeah, so one of the interesting things is the school districts are all very much geared toward having 
the, the students in person this year. And one of the stories that we had in the paper in the September 9th edition was about the Southampton School District and some of the struggles that the teachers there are seeing with some of their younger students, specifically like grade K through second. And as the kids get back into school, the teachers are finding that there's a little bit of a lag, right? And that they need to figure out ways to kind of bring their kids up to speed and that the percentage of children who have fallen behind is just a lot more than they than would be in a normal year. Is that right, Georgie? Yeah, so Michelle Traring actually reported on this for a Southampton Elementary School principal, Jamie Botcher, I think that's how I say her name, um, reports that 20% of the district's first and second graders are gonna require what's called a tier three reading intervention, which basically means that they would need to work one-on-one with the teacher on literacy four or five times a week. And traditionally, uh, that number is more, it's usually about 5% of the um, first and second graders need that level of intervention. So the district is developing and it's in the middle of implementing this new um, robust pre-K through second grade literacy program. And they're creating workshops to help parents introduce literacy more at home. Jamie was also saying that um, they're trying to make literacy kind of a part of every part of your school day, even if it's, you know, through a computer program or a video or a poster on the wall, just to help those kids, I guess, catch up up. basically after a year where a lot of the younger students in different school districts were only in the classroom for a certain amount of time. I know in my son's school district for basically the first half of the year, he was only in school two days a week. And he's a, he was in first grade. And he was in year. first grade. I wonder, I mean, do you feel like this whole COVID remote schooling thing was that it impacted the littlest kids the most? I just wonder if you've heard anything about that. And well, your experience, I mean, it's hard to compare your experience because you have a, a child going into seventh grade and now Charlie going into to second and they're two very different kids. So I don't know if as a parent, it can, you can really weigh in on that because they're going to have different strengths and, and issues. But I just wonder what you've heard. Well, so it's interesting. We actually have Kaylin Riley working on a mental health series regarding children, and she's going to kind of look at it from different age groups. So Mm -hmm. tackle, you know, what the experience has been for elementary school students, what the experience has been for like middle high school students, and then the college students. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is such a different experience. So when you're in pre-kindergarten through second grade, which is, you know, what Michelle was writing about in terms of the Southampton school district, that's when you're learning to read. That's when you're learning to write. That's where you're getting these, you know, foundational skills. Social skills as well, too. I read something, and I I think it was school districts that that may not have gone back last year, I mean, in in other states, but these teachers that that are are teaching, you know, first grade, second grade that aren't accustomed to helping their students learn how to raise their hand to speak, for example, or to interact with other students, because you usually learn that in kindergarten or first grade, and those grades were all remote, so so these kids didn't know how to interact with each other, and it's a, a hardship for these teachers um, who are used to students who are a little more advanced in their social skills to try to try to catch them up, um, which I thought was really fascinating. Absolutely, I mean, because I think really, especially in kindergarten and even first grade, it is so much about socialization. You know, 
learning how to share toys, learning how to be in a group together and work together instead of just in your little home environment. So yeah. How to trade your school lunch, you know, trade Twinkies for ho-ho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Definitely, that was definitely there. not allowed last year. <laughs> Peanut butter for bologna, not happening. <laughs> but I'm wondering, like, um, Georgie, like, yeah, did you see your little guy, Charlie, did his social skills fall by the wayside or was he just so excited when he was finally able to get in a room with children? Because we were talking before we came on, like Georgie and I were even saying how I feel like if I know I have to go socialize, like in Sac Harbor or something, I feel really weird. Like I don't really like any of my clothes. I don't think I, you know, I don't feel like I want anybody to see me in public. And I even had a friend meet me for a movie in Sac Harbor and there was like a 530 showing or a 930. She's like, let's go to 930. Nobody will see us. You know, like really weird, you know, like there's days that I want to wear that mask again. I, I, I mean, same, same for me. If, you know, when I'm outside, outside tooling or, yeah, exactly. Well, luckily it's coming back in but, style. Uh, yeah, I got, I got really used to that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that with, um, with Charlie and his socialization, he tends to be a little bit of a homebody. So he might not be like the best test mm. case because he was a homebody prior to COVID. Um, but I will say after, um, doing at home learning, he's very excited about school. Um, I, I don't feel like it held him back socially too much, um, but I do. But I did see him lag in other ways. Yeah. One thing he did not love was doing school at home. So he's been very excited to be back in the classroom. He he went to summer camp this summer. He loved going to summer camp. He loves socializing. He is probably a little shyer with new people than he would be if we hadn't gone through the last 18 months, because he would have just had so much more interaction in general, but you know, he, I, you know, he's, he's doing okay. You know, I also tend to be one of those parents who like, when we talk about kids slipping back in terms of literacy and um, in terms of school and academia, my whole focus has been on mental health over the last 18 months with my kids, because I just feel like, you know, we're going through this once in a hundred year situation. <laughs> and so if they can emerge from this, um, you know, with strong mental health and with skills to cope with the anxiety and um, the uncertainty of where we find ourselves, then I, I feel like I've done my job. Mm -hmm. So hmm. I, I'm not as worried about while I have seen in my, my now second grader, I do think he would be farther along in terms of reading and his writing skills. But they can always catch up on that, on the academics. They can right? catch up on that, you know, and he's happy and he's healthy. And so for me, that's, like that's that was the most important job right. last year. Development is the important thing at this age, I'm thinking. And I think you're right, focusing on the mental health and making sure that that all of those, so, you know, the social skills and the mental health skills, like Bill said, I think you can catch up on the academic stuff. But, I, you know, I, I'm fascinated just as an observer from the outside, not having any kids in school. This is like a social experiment that we're being, that's being forced on us. Uh, this is just unprecedented. Um, you know, a hundred years ago with, with the flu, um, I'm not sure what the difference was, but I'm going to guess that education was a little less universal than it is yeah. now. And uh, I, I just feel like it's, it's fascinating to me just that this is a brand new, uh, this, this is all new and we don't, we don't really have anything to compare it to. Huh. 
I think also though, what's interesting and what unfortunately probably hasn't changed in a hundred years is where you land um, on the economic spectrum, um, you know, probably drastically um, impacted your child's experience over the last 18 months. You know, my kids were, like I said previously, were remote learning for more than half a year for um, most of the school week. You know, my daughter was fine. She had a new computer to work with and she had tons of school supplies. And, you know, I said to Annette earlier, if you look in one of my storage closets, I, I look like I have a first grade classroom in there full Be of supplies. Because you did. <laughs> because I did. But I was able yeah. to go buy those things, you and know, and also I didn't have a child, you know, my son wasn't in special education anymore. And I feel like that's another that's another group of children, you know, that, you know, probably suffered a lot as a result of the remote learning, just because especially when they're little and they need special education services, that one-on-one -on -one is so important. And then think about the kids who maybe had parents that were working. So yeah. you had, you know, middle schoolers taking care of little kids and trying to educate themselves and their younger siblings. If they even had Wi-Fi, you know, that's the other thing. It's like the Wi-Fi access is not universal by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, even on a good day, we kind of struggle here with that, right? Yeah. And we were able, I was fortunate, you know, I had Joe help me basically restructure my job going into my school year because I think I emailed him and was like, kill me now. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, how am I supposed to do all of this at once? But a lot of people don't have that kind of flexibility in their work. Yeah. You, know? you know, the thing too, that we use the phrase, the new normal a lot. Yeah. And I worry about the new normal for kids that, 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 you know, they lost a year of a normal school year. And so when we, it's still not a normal school year. Um, when we go back to a normal school year, uh, you know, is that going to feel abnormal? You know what I mean? Because yes. this is the new normal and, and, and it's going to be uh, tough for especially little kids to now go back into a classroom in a, in a traditional way. I worry about that. interesting what Joe was just saying about like how if we ever get to the end of this because honestly I'm kind of at a point where I've I thought we were kind of moving towards the end and now here we are taking many steps backwards and I'm frustrated by that whole process but how you know they will feel when you know it is safe for them to be unmasked you know groups together right now at least at my son's school they each have their own desk they're they're distanced um you know so what happens when they're told okay <laughs> now everybody get together again like you know I mean I know that my son you know who's seven anywhere he goes he has his mask and I, I can't even, I don't even know how he would respond to me if I was like, oh, honey, you don't need to wear that mask. It's like, like he would be like, what are you talking about? Of course I need to wear that mask. It's like a pacifier. It's kind of like, like Security my like daughter's that. generation and their cell phones. It's like, that's the funny thing. When we first got my daughter an iPhone, you know, and she was like, in eighth and ninth grade, whatever. Um, it was sort of like, well, we're going to have to put like a tracker on it so we can find it. The one thing they do not lose <laughs> is their phones. <laughs> Everything else, forget about it. But um, so I could actually track my daughter with the find a phone. So I know, did she get up in time to go to class in South Carolina? And I can actually see all that, which is kind of creepy and weird, but 
you know, got to do what I got to do. <laughs> well, I wonder how, um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about this. You know, I can speak to certainly what it feels like for elementary school and middle school kids, but, you know, college kids have been really impacted by the last couple of years too. And, you know, you had some students begin their college careers in COVID online. Yeah. A, yeah. Lot, of, a lot of my daughter's friends who were your, my daughter graduated from high school in 2019. So she at least had like one normal semester um, at the college of Charleston before um, COVID hit. And she had to come home and finish that semester online. She didn't do great that second semester. She was stuck here all last summer. And then her friends had to start their college experience online. Some of them deferred and didn't even do um, the go to the colleges they had been accepted to. Some of them went and were basically forced to stay in their dorms and have their food like delivered or picked up and they had to be tested every week. So it was a very weird, weird thing. I mean, one of her friends who's up in Connecticut um, literally only made one friend the entire year. You know, usually your first year yeah. of college is where you're really figuring out your social social scene. Um, this summer it was like, my daughter didn't want to come back home at all. So she stayed down and where she was in South Carolina and worked all summer. And, um, you know, she's figuring it out, but it's been, it hasn't been easy, you know, to, and as a parent, it's like, I don't, I'm not thrilled to be spending the kind of money we're spending for her to do non-synchronous classes <laughs> where she's basically not even talking to the professor. He's like maybe uploading a lecture that she can read it, you know, watch at three in the morning. And then there's a PDF she has to do work on and she's doing it all in mm -hmm. her in her apartment, you know, um, which we had to pay a fortune for also. So, you know, at least, at least you guys have free school right now, That's true. the idea of paying for it. But the thing is, do, do you keep these kids like home? Like some of her friends who deferred and maybe took the year off. It's like, you really, when you don't go to college at the time that you're supposed to go to college, it's really hard, I think, to go back and start as a freshman, you know, one year later than everybody else is one thing, but two years, three years, suddenly you're not going to go to college. So we felt like it was more important to keep her in that school mode rather than like try to save the money by letting her um, not do anything for, you know, a lot of 2020. That's interesting that you mentioned the friend in Connecticut who only made one friend. That is one thing like I can't, I haven't been able to do like play dates for Charlie. So like, whereas my daughter had established friendships that we then developed our pod around. And so she, as a middle schooler, thank God, has been able to maintain her friendships. You know, Charlie is friends with the kids at school, but he doesn't like have like a best friend. He doesn't have that like, you know, that kid that's your best friend that you rely on and they rely mm -hmm. on you that most children, I think, develop in kindergarten mm -hmm. and first grade because he was like probably on the precipice of that when COVID shut everything down. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Well, I'm not worried about it. All I think the up. next interesting thing that's going to happen is going to be when the FDA approves vaccines for kids under age 12. And we expect that probably within the next couple of months and probably before December. And it's going to open up a whole new conversation about, you know, all the, the, the disagreements over whether it should be mandated in schools or not. But I feel like it'll also open up a new front of attack on the vaccine, on, on the virus, that you'll get many more kids vaccinated. And though kids haven't gotten, they've tended to not get as sick. We've certainly seen some cases of the virus circulating in schools here. And so it should go a long way towards stopping that. The number of cases in the last few months among young people is up like, you know, two, 300% or, or, or something. 
I think they said it. I think they said it's it's now one in one in four cases is going to a, is a child is getting. And the problem is, as more children get it, more children are going to die of it. So yeah, it may be a small number, but it's you know it's not going to be an acceptable number when you lose a child to COVID because you're dealing with a largely unvaccinated you know population around you. Well, and that's where you're seeing those big jumps in the cases um, in children or in those states that have low adult vaccination rates. But you know, it's really scary. It's like even the 12 to 15 year olds that can get vaccinated now, it's a really low percentage that have actually gotten both COVID vaccines. Um, And so that's, I know, a big push in New York state right now Mm -hmm. is trying to encourage people to get their 12 to 15 year olds vaccinated. Do you think we're going to see, I think, was it, um, was it in California, was it LA school district that's mandating that all the teenagers be vaccinated? Do you think that we might get to that point here in New York? So Los Angeles um, school, or so I guess it's Los Angeles County or is it school district? I'd have to, it's the school district, which is the second largest school district in the country. Um, is now requiring by a specific date, of course, they're giving you time to comply with it, a COVID vaccine for anybody 12 and up. And, you know, I mean, I think that you do see um, a lot of vaccines are already required to go to school. Um, My kids have a list of vaccines that they need to have before they go to school. They've had that, they needed to have certain vaccinations long before COVID. Um, One thing that is not mandated though is the flu vaccine so i guess it's the question of you know whether or not they feel like covid rises to the level where it should be required um i mean Uh, i think that if you want to keep schools open and we're going to keep seeing different variants emerging um you know you might need to have a vaccine mandate at a certain point i I think it's a good idea the the colleges are doing that yeah, um, I have to say, yeah. I you know, my daughter's college, ironically, they, they had a whole like reward system that for the for the students to register that they had been vaccinated and send their information. In. And like, you know, if they got to X amount of percent, they'd have a pizza party on the green and, you know, up mm. to like 95 percent, they would let them do like a dunking booth of the president of the university of the college, <laughs> which is kind of fun. But they, I think they're up to about 75 percent. Um, vaccinated, which is kind of amazing for the South. I think it's, I think it's one of the highest rates that the president had said in the country for college. It's the old argument, the carrot and the stick. Uh-huh. And, and we've tried the carrot and the carrot's only getting us so far. But you know, I find it fascinating too, that, that when we talk about vaccine mandates, what we're talking about isn't hauling people out of their houses and forcibly, <laughs> I mean, this is not a mandate in that regard. It's if you want to go to work and if you want to go to school and if you want to be able to go to, to places where you're going to be interacting with people, you have to have this vaccine. If you choose not to get the vaccine, you can still do that. You just can't do these things because yeah. you're putting us at risk. Right. And I don't think that's unreasonable. No, they- you know, interesting. Um, this week we saw an email and I circulated it to our news editors and to Michael Wright, who writes a lot about, you know, the restaurant industry, but Pierre's in Bridgehampton announced that in order to come dine at their restaurant, you need to show proof of a COVID vaccine vaccination. You can't show a negative test. You have to show them that you have received both doses of the COVID vaccine if you want to eat in that restaurant, which I have not seen any business necessarily do that locally. I think you'll see a lot more of it now that now that the uh, 
air quotes summer season is is over and we move into into fall you'll you'll see that i think probably some businesses were reluctant to do that during the height of summer but um but may move toward that now well the restaurants are also moving indoors in large part right they might have been 50 50 now they're going to be 100 indoors soon and it's a double-edged sword right if they say you must be vaccinated to come in they're going to lose some people However, how many people do you think they're losing who are vaccinated and say, I don't want to go to a restaurant and hang out with a bunch of unvaccinated people. I know if I went to a 100% vaccinated restaurant, I'd be much more likely to go to that restaurant than to the restaurant where there's a bunch of unmasked, unvaccinated people in the fall while we're experiencing our fall surge or our post-Thanksgiving surge and our post-Christmas surge and our post-New Year's surge, because we're going to go through everything that we went through last year again. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Raro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, southamptonsagharborbooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. No, it's interesting. I was at a, um, I had to go to a, a wedding dinner in Brooklyn on Sunday, this whole um, restaurant that was rented out um, by the people who were holding the party. And we all had to show our vaccination cards um, and prove before they would let us in. Yeah, I don't think they were taking any negative tests. I went to a birthday party um, on at the rooftop bar at the Sag Harbor Cinema, which is so cool. Yeah. Don't tell people. That's right, it's ours. We're trying, it's to, ours. we're trying to keep that quiet. But I went to a birthday party there and, you know, the party organizers, it was a very small gathering and they were like, you, everybody has to show your proof of vaccination. Yeah. And they, again, it, there was no negative COVID test option. Right. It was show your proof of vaccination if you want to come to yeah. this birthday party. Yeah. Which, you know what, like Brendan just said, was for me, who is vaccinated, was really nice yeah. because- it gave my husband and I a sense of ease, you know, being there, you know, we still have an unvaccinated child at home. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Well, we should probably mention, you know, being that we're all vaccinated, we do feel protected from the virus. So why are we afraid of being around unvaccinated people? And I know some people listening must be thinking that right now. And the fact is there are breakthrough infections. There are rare but when you have an event with 100 people, you have, you know, a chance that one of those people is going to get a breakthrough infection. And that person with that breakthrough infection might not have severe symptoms by any means, but they might give it to their unvaccinated child. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Exactly. 100%. Yeah, that's a sad thing. It's like the people who refuse. I just I just am, I can just see how this path is not going to be easy once the children start coming down with really bad cases of covid um which is really you know I, scary. I as i was as we were i was coming to record this i heard that um denmark is lifting their last restrictions um because they've reached 75 percent 
vaccination and they had a lot of things in place. They had a they had a vaccination pass type of a thing. They feel like now they're they've reached the point where they can withdraw all that and they're going to have the largest music festival to be held. And it's not going to require masks or anything that you won't you won't have to show proof of vaccinations. I feel like this is happening all over the globe, which is we get to what we think is the finish line and we immediately go back to normal behavior. And it just, I'm going to be very curious to watch Denmark mm. and see what happens because, you know, I think that, that there's this misunderstanding that this is all mathematical. And once you reach a certain point, it's over and it doesn't work that way. It's, you know, the virus is going to fight to survive. Um, and, and I think Denmark's going to be a good test case for that. And then we have that variant um, <clears throat> Mu is now spreading, right? We don't know what that one's going to be and whether or not the vaccine is going to protect against that. So yeah, these viruses are pretty wily. They really kind of can figure out a way around things. But, you know, this is one of the reasons, you know, and I know that there's, you know, conflicting views on this and for good reason, it's not, you know, in my opinion, it's not like getting vaccinated, which is a no brainer. Um, but, you know, I'm happy my kids are in a school district that is enforcing a mask mandate. Um, it's just one extra barrier, um, another level of protection uh, that hopefully keeps them in school, um, because that needs to be the goal is how do we keep these kids in school? And short of regular testing, which I think a lot of the school districts probably are reluctant to do because of the cost, um, you know, it's the mask is that's your alternative. Can I ask you though, I, I, let me be the contrarian for a second. The, there have been a couple of articles recently in some fairly high profile um, mainstream magazines that talk about the fact that if we're really talking about following the science, when it comes to younger kids, there is a trade-off for the mask mandates that younger kids in school, when it comes to socializing and, and all of that, that, that you are paying a price for requiring masks with little kids in school. And if we're asking them to pay a price without good science that suggests it's for a good reason, and that science is a little, I mean, I'm with you. I'm, for, you know, let me just come out and say, I feel like anything we can do to reduce the threat, we should do at this point. And the, even if the science suggests it's not that effective, I feel like any little bit helps. However, there is a point of view out there that says this is not harmless. This is asking little kids to mask is not a harmless step to take. I wonder what you got, what, what you, you guys think of that. Well, I mean, so, but when we talk about you know, harmful, we're talking about, you know, an impact on socialization, you know, the impact of not seeing your teacher's mouth move while they're reading a storybook, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, honestly, when my kids are indoors at school, I would want them masked because even if it's a small layer of protection with the Delta variant, it's still a layer of protection. Now, I think that school districts doing things like moving classes outdoors, um, moving as much possible outdoors as they can is really helpful because most school districts are saying if you're outside and you're able to distance, then you don't have to wear your mask. Um, 
So I definitely think that school districts should be trying to figure out how to do classes outside, do lunch outside, um, have more recess periods to have that socialization. So that they can have the masks off. So they can have their masks off and, you know, they're, they're out in fresh air and then they're socializing together without that burden. But I, I mean, and maybe it's just because I'm just so terrified of my kid being that one kid that gets the really bad COVID mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, is on a ventilator in a hospital. If the mask gives them any protection towards that, then I'm like, you're happy. Mask up. Mask and up. you know what? I got to tell you, my son doesn't mind. I've said this on the podcast before. Some kids, it really does bother. So I, I'm not trying to take away from those families. Um, but my son actually feels uncomfortable going into an indoor space without a mask at this point. Yeah. Well, there we go. So happy first day of school, everyone. And be safe out there. Keep these kids in school. Get vaccinated if you can, please. That's right. Get your shot. It's our advice. It's not just about you. Yes, it is. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Was your your chiropractor uh, vaccinated? Yes. Did you ask? Yeah, the first time I met him, he said he was vaxxed. I didn't ask to see his card. Should I have asked to see his card? No, I just heard a. I, I heard again on the radio on the way in that uh, a patient asked their doctor if they were vaccinated before an exam, and it thought the doctor said, "I don't have to tell you that." And the patient said, "Well, I'd prefer to be examined only by people who have been vaccinated." And he was ushered out the door and got a letter that he was dropped as that doctor's patient. That's fine. I would have written that letter myself. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. yeah I'll find another doctor. Yeah. No worries. I was surprised by that though. And I wonder what. Okay. See ya. I, I understand the confidentiality of, of medical stuff, but as a patient, I would think you have a right to ask. That's that. yeah, you do. If, I'm wondering if that's the doctor that's prescribing the, uh, the horse to wormer right. as well. Right. That's what I'm thinking. You know, people that, that want to find a reason not to get vaccinated are probably going to search out doctors like that who will support their yeah. belief system. Yeah, it's possible. I forget which congressman it was, but one recently shared this, you know, you know, meme or maybe it was his original thought. But he said that, like, you know, people have been tricked into calling this um, Nobel Prize winning medicine horse dewormer. Uh, and he was referring to ivermectin. And the fact is, ivermectin was a horse and livestock to warmer right first for getting parasites out of livestock they found applications that could be used in humans for treating parasites not for treating viruses uh but what most people are out there taking and then calling poison control centers for is because they're going to the livestock feed place and they're picking up horse to wormer. They are in fact using the animal grade ivermectin, not human grade ivermectin, and it's not doing anything for them except making them sick. I heard Joe Rogan, the uh, right wing uh, podcast host, um, has COVID and he's taking ivermectin, but he's also getting the uh, what's the other treatment? Uh, rem- he's getting like the top level treatment that you can possibly get, which I immediately thought, well, this is bad because he's very likely going to be okay because of that medicine. And he's going to credit ivermectin for this. And it's just all going to flare up again. Uh, He's uh, probably vaccinated too. 
it's possible because he hasn't said whether he's vaccinated or not, but he may very well be vaccinated. So he may be a breakthrough case, in which case he's probably was going to be okay anyway. Um, The the misinformation is just unreal. I think that's been the hardest part, you know, and and every time, you know, it was already so challenging in the beginning, you know, you didn't know if you needed to like bleach your groceries, mm-hmm. you know, like we had so little information and now that we do have information, it's, it's still not being heated and it's just beyond frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dangerous. And very dangerous. Right. So I guess we're going to spend the winter inside again. Hope not. <laughs> Deep breath, everyone. <laughs> it's a beautiful With a mask. day. Yeah. With a mask on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. This was fun. We gotta go. Gotta Sorry. pick the kids up at school. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.